Hi everyone, welcome back to Highly Inspired. I'm Ella. And I'm Jordan. Hey guys, um, this week we are going to be doing a follow-up episode to The Great Reset. Jordan and I did our first episode on The Great Reset about a year ago, which is crazy. Um, and that was when we kind of really discovered the agenda behind the World Economic Forum. And a lot has changed since then. I think that more truth has been revealed. Our perspectives have definitely broadened since then. And we seem to be moving closer to the 2030 agenda. Um, but it does seem like luckily there's been a lot more resistance and a lot more kind of awakening of people in the general public than there was even last year. Um, it seems to be kind of spreading worldwide, but before we dive into that, Jordan and I do have some announcements, especially cause you know, it's been a while and we're wrapping up the year and kind of just looking ahead. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's been a couple months since we sat down and recorded an episode. We've been working on some stuff in the meantime time so we have been at work on a few projects that are podcast related um, one of them being that we are excited to announce that we're going to be launching a Kickstarter campaign sometime in the next month um, you know stay tuned for that date we'll be announcing it in a few weeks but yeah there's been a lot of components that have gone into that including a whole trailer video and just a lot of details surrounding our brand and what we hope to accomplish in the next year in 2022 mm -hmm. so yeah and obviously holidays things come about it's been a busy time but um, some personal things came up for Jordan and her family too so mm -hmm. there was reasons why we got off track but I think that this is a good time to reset especially after the holidays and with the new year hitting and to get back into that regular huh. routine for reset. you guys <laughs> ironic the word I know. reset I know. <laughs> yeah no it's been a complete full year since we recorded that last great reset episode and that was a big turning point for for highly inspired i remember when we recorded it because that's when we we really sort of shifted gears from say more pop culture topics into the realm of um very high level big picture behind the scenes smokescreen type of um investigation so yeah i'm i'm excited to be revisiting it and just checking up on what the the big players in the game are doing and uh we've been researching this for the past couple of weeks so we've we found some good stuff yeah so we're gonna start with what we got right last year we kind of went back and rewatched our video um we're gonna talk about what we got wrong because we did get some stuff wrong um and then we're also going to be talking about just kind of like updates and where we think things are going and are they accelerating are things slowing down um but just kind of like starting to reflecting on what we originally talked about in our last episode and things that really stuck up to me when I was rewatching it I think that we did accurately talk about kind of moving from this period of crisis to normal normalization mm -hmm. do you remember when we talked about that mm -hmm. yep yeah the stages of normalization with destabilization and those four that. stages I don't know if you know this off the top of your head but yeah the ideological subversion stages was I mean that that concept has definitely become very like widespread this year on Twitter um, I will say when we first talked about it, it was a little bit, I don't think people were as aware of it, but I think that for me, I was the most surprised like how fast we went from, nor from crisis to normalization. I thought that that process would be mm -hmm. a little bit slower, mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. Well, we're adaptable. I mean, yeah, it's been two years, but we've, I feel like we've been at a static place of normalization for the entirety of 2021. 
you know, having the normalization of mass at the airports and, and still not rehumanizing one another and sort of looking at each other as petri dishes with COVID and uh, all of that. Like we have not returned back to how we were before yeah. in, in that um, category. Yeah. So I'm just going to play a short little clip okay um, from, from our from our previous episode yeah yeah <laughs> okay um that kind of goes along with this it's only like a few minutes or a few seconds or something reaches crisis point so do you think that we've hit normalization with covid at this point <laughs> i think that we're in the beginning stages of it i think that um just going based off of what these key actors have said i mean um the world economic forum which is one of the third main parties involved in this, um, they pretty much have straight up said their goal is by 2030 at the latest. And um, the guy who broke down the four stages of ideological subversion, um, he said that normalization can take as short as like a year to two years. So I don't really know. I think that we're kind of moving from crisis to normalization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, we're definitely not in panic mode like yeah. we were earlier this year, but I do think that from what I've seen with people, we're definitely adjusted to this mm -hmm. new reality that we have, everything being more online, not really socializing as much things we used to do. Yeah. We don't have that anymore. And actually what I do personally, and I'm not afraid to admit this, whenever I see that, <laughs> God, I actually no. tell people all the time, like, don't forget what we had before. Like, I don't. Okay, well, as, as painful as it is to listen to myself speak, um, there were a few tidbits in there that both you and I said that I do still agree with. One being the last quote that I actually said, which was, don't forget what we had before in regards to freedom. I think that that's what I was alluding to. And, and if I were to repeat that quote now, I would say, yeah, I would allude to freedom as well. Like, don't forget the freedoms that we had before. Don't forget the, the way that we used to humanize one another before um, and have maybe more control over our lifestyle, our assets, ownership, um, how we conduct ourselves in society. Uh, that's what I would you know, correlate that quote to now. But um, yeah, what, what do you think? I think it's crazy how much, even with that, like awareness, like for myself, like, oh, don't forget what we have, like how much I've even normalized myself into this new situation and things that I've, I've definitely conceded a lot of territory this past year. I think that even last year, I still thought like, oh, like I could go, back to Europe potentially like I could go to New York I mean even LA has recently fallen um, a, a bunch of cities recently just announced a lot of mandates and stuff so I think that I was a uh, not too naive but a tad naive to how like fast things could mm -hmm. spiral and I think that also um, we weren't naive to thinking that the, the the measures being taken were going to be taken at some point, mm -hmm. but we are naive to the fact of that it happened so fast. And I and think that I was imagining that like the lockdown would stay fully locked down in those places and that they would like just completely stay shut down. Um, I know that we did eventually talk about the vaccine mandates. Like I did know that that was coming, but I didn't think that things would feel as like slow as they did. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like it was a very, especially living in California, um, like the people that I know now living there, 
that it's still open to people that are willing to comply. Like they haven't felt that discomfort yet to them. They're actually more comfortable. And I feel like the reverse has happened to me where I actually would prefer things. Like I was actually more comfortable when everything was just locked down for everyone versus now it's um, like fully segregated. Like to me, that's almost I completely like agree. a worse stage, even though like because we're not all on the same plane. Yeah, some states people are living a totally different reality with different, um, you know, con- access to conveniences and different things that they're able to involve themselves in. But in other states, yeah, maybe if we if we don't have um, the same measures and COVID protocols under us that. Yeah, it's it's you're right. We're on different planes. Yeah. And I think that something else that we talked about, which I think we were right about, was that they were going to shift from COVID to um, the stuff with climate change. And Mm -hmm. I want to get into this more later. But I do think that right now we are kind of seeing a defeat with Biden kind of throwing up his hands with the CDC lowering. As of like two days ago, yeah. by the way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he literally, for those of you who haven't been paying attention or aren't aware yet, he said in a press briefing, um, he said there's not a federal solution to COVID and that it should be handled at the state, state level. level. Yeah. Which, I mean, he hasn't taken back his mandate yet, but it seems like he isn't pushing further. Um, And I don't know what this means. I have a lot of theories. Um, I don't think that we should celebrate too early on. I think that there's, there's got to be something else brewing. I don't. There most always is. We just don't know what that is yet. We don't know what the true colors are as to why all of a sudden all media outlets and big corporations and, you know, the federal government are now saying, wait a minute this is the norm. This is what we just have to deal with. And the states can handle it um, on their own. I don't know why they have made such a drastic transition like that. And they've made it, they've um, said these announcements in Biden's statement very casually, um, I think to insinuate that this wasn't a surprise or mm-hmm. to, to not catch people off guard so that it kind of slips through the cracks under, you know, with our radar. But um, it actually is a huge transition, and I want to emphasize that um, because I don't think people are really picking up on that. Well, I have a few different theories. I think that, number one, um, this is like a real, like, spiritual, physical war, that information war that we're going through right now um, in terms of, like, the people and the resistance and the people that are the globalists and the CCP and our puppet politicians who don't even really have any power but they're all just corrupted and and doing what whoever the puppeteer is telling them to do and i think that there's been you know some sort of um spiritual battle kind of being won right now where i think because you know that huge joe rogan episode that launched with um dr peter mccullough and them walking through like all the the truth behind like the the treatments that are being hidden from people, the truth behind the vaccine efficiencies, all this stuff. And I think that there's been enough pushback on the mandates that they have to do something to kind of reel it back. But what mm-hmm. I think that they're actually doing is that they're still holding on to the cities that they have control over and they're pushing in 
a federalized police force um, because you're seeing in places like San Francisco and places like um, New York, um, even Chicago, you're having all the mayors of these cities, uh, specifically with San Francisco, you have the mayor all of a sudden out of nowhere, it went from defund the police to we need to have the police, we need to not even have the police reinstated, but we need to, um, we need to take on additional emergency powers. And we're going to go into places like the Tenderloin and all these like neighborhoods. And we're now going to have the authority to take people off the streets against their will um, for the broad reasonings of health and safety. And what does that mean? Like, where is that like power going to get extended to? Who are these policemen? Are they localized? Are they federalized? Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the middle? Who are they taking orders from? Are they following laws? Are people being read their rights like where are these people going like i have so mm-hmm. many questions and it'll be a snowball effect too because once the power is established and they have these routines and, and new training measures put in place mm-hmm. for for um growing their forces then it'll be harder and harder to shut that down yeah. with like a legal um you know with legal tactics yeah and so this is also something that i think we maybe got wrong or missed last year was i think that you know, when we recorded an, a year ago, we were, I think, still looking at this from a very um, more political lens. I think that we saw things through the lens of the election. The election had just happened. Yeah, right, right versus left. Yeah, and we had just dealt with um, the riots from that summer, which were something that we hadn't seen before. Um, and there was a lot of talk of like law and order back the blue. And I think that actually, um, and this comment might uh, offend people on the right, but I think that a lot of conservatives have gotten very comfortable saying those blanket statements. But I mean, when you see a video of a police officer in New York, um, escorting a child out and threatening to arrest a child because a five-year-old doesn't have a, a vaccine passport to show to eat at a restaurant um, that I don't saying back the blue isn't working in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that in um, conjunction with what's happening in San Francisco, where you're now giving the police extended power to remove people for health and safety measures. And you're not defining what that is. People who are wealthy, um, who don't like crime might be like, oh, yay, like my city's getting cleaned up, like LA's getting cleaned up, New York's getting cleaned up, <laughs> like no more murders, no more, like, which is great. Like, but should we have that at the cost of your rights getting taken away? And what happens when you eventually fit into that health and safety category? Mm-hmm. Like, what happens when that doesn't just mean the homeless or the criminals? Like, yeah. What, when like you're also red flagged too yeah and they come after you for something that maybe isn't even traditionally traditionally looked at as criminal yeah. or traditionally looked at by the law like we're going through new times with new issues that we're trying to decipher what is the ethical backing of it mm-hmm. um so yeah you're right and what did we learn with our australia guests i mean she basically told us told us that the reason why they're in the predicament that they're in now is because the police have been given full autonomy to interpret the law however they deem correct. And they're basically the ones making the calls when it's like, wait a second, 
police, they're not lawyers. They're not judges. They're not the legal system. Yeah, what are their qualifications in order to be granted that much power to be interpreting the law? Yeah, and it's just unfortunate because I actually have learned a lot this year, and I, I didn't understand a lot of the issues that had to do with policing. I think that, honestly, like from my position and and kind of like the blessings that I've had I've always thought of the police as this like comfort and this like force to be helpful um in a dangerous situation but I mean now you're not getting that benefit and I'm also seeing it from other people's perspective when they've always viewed in certain communities viewed the police as kind of a source of tension um whether or not that is statistically justifiable or not I think that I'm able to after this year emphasize like kind of empathize empathize a lot more because in certain places like I do I am kind of scared of the police now you know because you see these videos in other places and it's not it's just not like appropriate yeah it's 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 brutal force that isn't necessary, you know? Yeah. Obviously the police and what they're doing, it varies from state to state currently at the moment. Um, I, I would love to highlight a bit of a police encounter story that I, (laughs) that I had a few weeks ago. Ella, you know this already, but basically I was home alone because my family was out of town and, Um, this was like one of the weekends leading up to Christmas, which I'm not sure if, you know, the police were short staffed because of the holidays or people going on breaks or something like that. But, um, in the middle of the night, really, really late, it was a storm night. Like it was pouring down rain. I had the alarm go off in the middle of the night and I was home alone. Normally that does not happen. Like our alarm is not that sensitive. So my alarm company called and they connected me with a police department, um, I wasn't given the option to decide which police department it was, but it was just one in my area. And I told them, like, I, I, I definitely didn't belittle what was going on. I, I said, I think someone's in the house. Our alarm, like, something is is off. I don't know what it is. You might as well send, um, you know, a police team out here. So they did. And basically, in short, they didn't show up for an hour and a half And an hour and a half, if someone was really in your house, which thankfully that is not what happened. We had some sort of glitch, but an hour and a half is way too much time to even be flirting with the possibility of someone being in your house that is threatening to either rob from you, hurt you or whatever else under the sun. So an hour and a half is not going to save a life. It's not going to save your life. And you would be in a very bad situation. So what I learned from that whole, from that whole um, encounter was just, yeah, we, we do not have the same police availability that we used to. And it's scary because we can't rely on them to be there in five minutes. We can't rely on them to, um, you know, fight all of our battles for us. It's it's not like that. And even um, even the police that are out there, some of them are doing stuff like this, like, yeah. you know, arresting a five-year-old boy for not having a vaccine card. Yeah. So I don't know what is going on, but that was just my firsthand experience. And I am sure someone out there who's listening probably has had something similar where they wanted, you know, the police to show up quickly, but they weren't able to for whatever reason. And that's, yeah, that could, that might not be good. <laughs> yeah. And it makes people feel like, okay, well then I got to take stuff into my own hands. And what that's going to lead to is more people acquiring guns, more people, um, who might not be trained, uh, defending themselves. Um, and I think that 
honestly, something that is really interesting is I think that I always was like, oh, like, what's the point of, you know, I didn't really grow up around like guns, it's not like my family hunted. I've never even shot a gun. But I think that this year, that's definitely something that I've thought about a lot more. And I've really like understood the Second Amendment more so because if you can't um, rely on like a government entity to protect you then you really are on your own and you better have something to protect you and that thing it might not even be the end threat not might not even be your neighbor it might breaking into your house that could be a factor but what's even scarier is like okay do you have to protect yourself from the actual brutal force of the, the actual police or the actual state or the actual government or whatever entities in charge um, and unfortunately in places like Australia, Austria, Germany, um, where they're fully in a police state, uh, they don't have that option. And even that kind of, um, at least awareness that the police have that like, oh, there's people out there that are armed. Like I better be more on my guard. And I think that that is actually mm -hmm. like a healthy tension that exists here that I didn't realize, you know, I didn't understand why that was maybe important because I always mm. thought, oh, the police are like on our side, but maybe yeah. that might not be the case. And I'm not saying that there aren't good policemen out there because there's been a lot of police that in New York that stepped down, um, that have been fired because of their stances. But there are a lot of people that just will follow orders too. And this has been proven with multiple experiments. Um, throughout you know the last mm, 50 mm. years so i don't know there's um, a spectrum it's interesting with just weapons how the nature of weapons like say guns for example are freeing to people who who want to own them for protection but they also are a mechanism to you know contain order if needed to like say contain criminals or um threaten someone who's in pursuit of doing a crime it's it's really interesting how that dichotomy dichotomy is and obviously there's a spectrum of how they're used ethically and how they're used unethically um i'm for the ethical side but yeah. i am certainly not for you know not having any at all and i am very pro second amendment i've i totally agree with you i've totally had a um much more profound reawakening to it and understanding um just the entire reason why that's there this this year. So I didn't anticipate doing that, but that's just what happened. Yeah, it's, it's really not about like, oh, your right to be able to like hunt whenever you want or even like your right, yeah, it's your right to protect your house from invaders and stuff. But literally like the main reason is like your right to protect yourself from like the government even. <clears throat> because if you think about the Revolutionary War, it was a war against their current government like that was the whole purpose of it um and after that like we made a social contract with the constitution and if your rights aren't being respected like there's definitely room in there for that to be defended so um, i mean we go and fight foreign wars allegedly for american values but then we don't even uphold the constitution here and we aren't expected to be even a little bit upset about it now i'm not saying like take up your gun but i'm just saying like we're not people aren't even talking about like protests or, or that sort of thing um i think that another thing that we might have missed or gone wrong 
on the Great Reset episode was that we kind of focused too much on socialism, especially just kind of like the economics of it um, and comparing like different countries and different approaches. And I don't think that we really dissected Europe enough. I think that I specifically um, miscategorized Denmark and kind of threw it more with a capitalist route, which I think is still somewhat accurate. But I do think that um, if you study history, and this is something that I I watched a documentary on, and I'm starting to realize that a lot of the conflicts that we have, it's usually people really high up, a lot of times like banking in the UK, which is just totally crazy, but like are funding both sides of wars. This happened in World War One. this happened in World War Two, And in World War Two, actually, the people that were in charge of Germany and the people that were in charge of the U- the UK, England, um, they actually wanted the same thing. They wanted a centralized, controlled governing force. But they had two different ways to achieve that. Um, Italy wanted to do fascism, which means you control um, something very fast by brutal force. And the UK wanted to do a very slow socialism, democratic mm-hmm. socialism approach where we would Dependence. S- slowly get people dependent on the government and it'd be the long game versus the short game. And then the two ended up clashing and having a war. And we thought, oh my gosh, democracy won, blah, blah. And maybe it did surface level, etc. cetera. Um, I mean, you did have Western Europe and Western Europe, but now it's actually Eastern Europe that is being the most um, resilient and kind of resistant of all this COVID stuff because they've actually experienced because they've learned and they've learned they were under the USSR and in Europe, um, in Eastern Europe, I mean, think about it: how many people in 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 the UK own houses? Do you think compared to Americans? Not even a fraction. Yeah. Not I a mean, fraction. I don't e- I don't know what the, I don't know how to guess like a probability, but I don't yeah, I would assume not a fraction. Yeah. Um I'm actually going to look it up cuz I'm curious. Okay. So it says about um 63%. Now I'm going to look in the US. I'm just curious. Okay. So in the U.S., it's 79 million own homes and then only 14 million in the U.K., but you have to adjust that for population. So um, I'm not sure what I'd have to adjust that for population, but it's definitely, mm-hmm. I would guess, a smaller portion of people. Um, and I think that, you know, or at least just even like culturally, it's not as big of a thing in their culture. Um, and I think that that's because slowly like people haven't, they don't, they have caps on like how much money they can make. They'd rather trade in having, you know, a few months of vacation time versus a few weeks. They'd rather have the four day work week, stuff like that. I mean, in France, it's like illegal to work what more than like 35 hours a week. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, like for so long we've had this like American dream. Okay. The way to like build equity is you buy your own house and you pay off your mortgage. And at the end you can use that as like a retirement fund and sell your home and it's appreciated and all this stuff. And there's all this land. And in Europe, 
I don't think that that same mentality exists. And I think it's because certain policies have slowly made Western Europe kind of more dependent on certain rules and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to take it back to when we, when you mentioned that we thought you thought that our episode last year focused on this push for more socialism or I guess under the alias of stakeholder capitalism or shareholder capitalism. That's what they had been saying. Like world economic forum is is still capitalism. Uh, not shareholder capitalism. Stakeholder capitalism. Yeah, just don't okay. Like confuse but it. that basically yeah. is so it code for socialism. Yes. Okay. So I think that yeah, we did talk about that a lot and we thought that that was going to be the push, but actually I think I think what the push is like so then the intrinsic nature of socialism would be say the government giving you stuff, like pseudo ownership of things. But I think with this great reset plan, we're leading more towards where they're not even going to be giving us anything. It's just going to be us renting from all of these big corporations. Mm -hmm. So what even is that? Could we qualify that as socialism? Like they're not giving us assets. They're not giving us Mm. money that's our own. It's just a cycle of us renting basically everything that we want to be indulging in. Modern, uh, modern surf surfdom. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Like in Russia. Yeah, or or even just medieval Europe. Think about middle me, medieval Europe, where um, you didn't own the land that you lived on, but if you were lucky, you could live on the land that you farmed the crops for. You know, your income was really kind of like being able to be like you weren't a slave, really, because it, it, it you weren't a slave, but you were kind of in a indentured servitism mm-hmm. sort of situation where you're kind of. Yeah, you're living and you're getting food and all that, but it's it's like a class system. It's you mm-hmm. don't have any real equity in anything and therefore you don't have any like autonomy. I think that something that I didn't realize, which I totally fell into a trap about this, but the reason why like YouTube, Instagram like promotes things like, oh, living in your van. I told I thought about this today. <laughs> the reason Dude. why they promote that stuff um, with their algorithms, it's not just like to encourage you to be a minimalist and like enjoy nature. It's it's literally strategic because they want you to not have a lot of things, which I mean, if you think about that in a biblical sense, like that is great. Like we should all be wanting to not have as many things. We should be wanting to give to the poor. We should be wanting to not leave, um, ex- you know, excessive lifestyles. But I don't think that not having the freedom to do it is suppressive. And that's where we will, we will create chaos in society. And And this is just human nature. Like we want the freedom to be able to do things, to own things, to make decisions without someone else having to make them for us. So yes, in theory, we should be wanting to live more impoverished lifestyles. And, and honestly, that's probably what most people are fine with doing and want to do as is. But when it's forced upon you, that's where chaos can still, you know, sneak out and, and um, grow into more. Well, it's not even that. It's also, okay, so if that happens, you don't think that there's still going to be greedy people at the top that then will just take over everything and then you still still won't have autonomy like okay if BlackRock literally takes up all of the land in the U.S. 
You think you're going to be able to just take your camper freely across state line to state line and be able to park it no. wherever? Like, no, you aren't going to be able Hell to do no. that. So I think, I think that, yeah, in theory, that is a great mindset to have. And I think that we should be always striving to do more with less. But it's like, okay, also... God and Jesus, they he wanted us to use the resources that he he gave us, not in excess, but to nourish us, to use the farmland, to grow crops, yes. to feed us and all this stuff. And you think that you're not going to have any land to be able to do that. Like you're going to have to get your COVID pill every morning from the pharmaceutical companies and get your package delivered meal from the whatever version of Postmates gets shipped off into your little tube and you, like it's not going to be <laughs> nourished wholesome food so I think that we think like oh oh we'll be minimalistic but eventually someone's gonna come in and grab all that like the, all those resources and then it's not going to get distributed properly you know mm -hmm. um are we by the way are we playing that clip which clip the shareholder versus stakeholder capitalism we clip? can if we want if you want yeah let's okay. play oh. just kind of while we're still on that topic what is the time Nine twenty. Nine thirty. Oh, okay we're on earth has suffered from this however I don't know if it's as simple as that. And what they're doing is they're disguising socialism as stakeholder capitalism. Yeah. And Ella and I, for a while, I think we both come across it. We just had no idea what it was because yeah. we thought, oh, capitalism is in the phrase that might mean the same thing. It might yeah. be just another mm -hmm. friend of shareholder capitalism mm -hmm. or something like that. But it's it's definitely not. <laughs> no, no. So um, I actually, I first came across uh, stakeholder capitalism in a course that I took in the UK when I was studying there earlier this year. And I was very kind of intrigued with this idea. I had a really great, sweet professor. And he basically was like, you know, explaining all of the corruption that goes on behind Amazon and how they don't treat their employees right and how they don't pay taxes and all the things that we're very much aware of as the holes within capitalism and how basically the solution to that should not be that these companies should continue to have um, an obligation to their shareholders, which shareholder capitalism is cap the capitalism that um, all Western countries and even um, in Asia that practice capitalism are founded on, which is basically you, the main purpose of the corporation is maximizing shareholder value, which is mm -hmm. like profit driven essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, and kind of everything else will kind of come as you're doing that. Like if your, um, shareholders care about the environment, if they care about human rights and they're not going to invest in your company anymore. And you've kind of seen that play out because, um, capitalism, a lot of people don't know this, but I think that was kind of the majority of it. But something that I think, I think we did a good job explaining the difference between the two. However, I think something that we missed there was that, yes, corporations are making this shift, but let's also examine what they were doing before they even made this shift. Like, were they really, and obviously we're, t we're grouping a lot of corporations together as we're saying this, and you'd have to go corporation by corporation. But I think that you could look at a lot of corporations and be like, okay, 
even before this new term, stakeholder capitalism, which is kind of breeding um, the grounds for a social credit score, both from a corporation, but also an individual standpoint. However, I think that even before this term and before this new um, scoring, I don't think that corporations have had people's like best interests at heart. Um, And I think that that's something that on the right gets overlooked a lot or has up until this whole big pharma explosion has happened. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that on the left, people traditionally have been a lot more skeptical of, okay, what is Coca-Cola actually promoting? Should there be regulations on what they're Mm. producing? And and like, should there be limits on how much corporations can profit off of people? You know, you're right. That's a good point. Actually, traditionally, the left had been more skeptical of corrupt capitalism and, you know, big corporations taking advantage in maybe some unethical ways. But it wasn't only until big pharma and with this whole vaccine situation that, that the people on the right maybe have now woken up more towards the corrupt capitalism that, that they're involving themselves with, which is really interesting. Yeah, I really like that take. Yeah, I mean, I think that now it's like, oh my gosh, wait, Pfizer now has just announced that in their 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 this their final, um, I think their fourth quarter annual report or quarterly report, um, wrapping up for the annual report, and they're saying all of our next quarterly uh, revenue income streams is going to be mainly with COVID related stuff. Like you can't, you can't recover from that. You can't do a pivot. Like if, if that's where all your income is going to come from, like they're not going to just give that up. And then once you realize, Oh, that industry is doing that, then you can apply it to all these other different industries. And I think that something also that, um, the libertarian right especially um missed was earlier on we should have censored uh the tech companies more or sorry we should have regulated them more and made them utilities because now we have twitter um which used to kind of be at least a little bit more free but with jack dorsey stepping down it's gotten even more tight with how many people it's cleansing its accounts from i mean my favorite account nancy pelosi's portfolio tracker has been deleted it was such a good account that was a really good account <laughs> i'm really sad when you told me that i, I really was sad yeah and hopefully it could come back on another platform maybe sometime soon but you're right yeah once once they're kind of off the platform they're gone like i don't have we but, ever seen any big account that was deplatformed then somehow come back like that has not happened no, so it's I a mean, it's not a good sign to see that and it's it's um occurring a lot more frequently, which is even worse. Yeah. And so I don't know. I think that I I have a, I have a um, article that I found and this was actually published, published by Forbes in 2016. Okay. And here's a quote that sort of talks about the 2030 agenda um, that they published all the way back then. This is from the world economic forum. And so when we first came, came across like the great reset, concept and we spoke on this in in the previous episode from last year a lot um we came across the great reset reset term pretty much right around when we recorded that so Mm -hmm. it was very new very fresh off you know i cried a day before we recorded because i was so overwhelmed (laughs) yes it was a wave of very scary epiphanies but i'm really glad that we had this outlet to sort of like uncover it and help help ourselves process it 
I know. I didn't either. Not at the level of, of what it actually is. I mean, yeah. I, I had come across the word before, but um, so yeah, the, in short, the 2030 agenda is very closely tied to the Great Reset Plan. It's sort of just like another way of wording it. Um, and on the World Economic Forum's website, you can go and look up the 2030 agenda. You can go look up the Great Reset and they have published two completely separate like areas of all of this plethora of information on both of them. Uh So at this time last year, they didn't have that. They maybe had published a few articles on it, but it was not at the level of giving us these encyclopedias of what exactly they're encouraging and putting out into the world for us. So I guess we could say the amount of content surrounding both of these concepts has basically like quadrupled just in one year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also paired with Klaus Schwab's book, COVID-19, the great reset. He's literally published a book. He's the um, founder and CEO of the world Eco- economic forum. But so here's what this article is. And this is published in 2016, by the way, over, almost six <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Welcome to 2030. I own nothing, have no privacy and life has never been better. Oh yeah. I'm Welcome to the that. year 2030. Welcome to my city. And this would be in a first person point of view, or should I say our city, I don't own anything. I don't own a car. I don't own a house. I don't own any appliances or any clothes. It might seem odd to you, but it makes perfect sense for us in this city. Everything you can once considered a product has now become a service. We have access to transportation, accommodation, food, and all things we need in our daily lives. One by one, all of these things became free. So it ended up make not making any sense for us to own much. So in this perfect city, the powers at play, the companies that are running the perfect city are making things seem so much easier and so much more convenient to just be renting their services from them that then we don't feel encouraged or incentivized to just work harder to own all of the stuff on our own. So that's just so interesting. And I think that this realization now of that we're not heading towards socialism where they're going to be giving us things for then us to be pseudo owning. It's Mm. actually just going to be us renting everything. It's transitioning from, from us paying to own something to renting everything, which I think Mm -hmm. before we're like, Oh, the government's just going to tax everyone and redistribute it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's really good. And I I think that that's a really good realization. And just, this is kind of a rhetorical question, but I think it's important for people to dwell on what is, the biggest disadvantage between owning something and renting something. You're asking me that? Yeah. Um, well, I would just say that you don't have control over it. It you can don't be ha- taken away from you at any point. Uh-huh. Yeah. Whoever's controlling the distribution of that being rented. And if corporations are becoming more powerful than the government, at least some of them are. And especially the tech companies, which is where you know, your social credit score is going to pop in, then it's going to be like, okay, for you to rent your house, for you to rent your car, for you to rent your phone, you got to pass this certain social credit score, Mm -hmm. you know, like how you have a regular credit score to afford a mortgage. Um, But nothing will ever be paid off. Nothing will ever be, I mean, people understand how land rights, like literally being able to own your own real estate is one of the most important evolutions of um, of freedom that has ever happened in history. I mean, mm-hmm. 
it's or just of like the entire animal kingdom. Like yeah. that's just what living things do. We want to establish a territory that's ours where we control the behaviors and activities that can go on there, like assets that we bring to it or what we do with the land, how we can turn it into more by growing food, using it for agriculture. Like having the ability and freedom to do that is huge and then actually having it is even better yeah so but now we're on the risk of losing both of those we're not only on the risk of losing the ability to have it but um but yeah then the other one too which is you can't do anything with it and it's not under your discretion it's under whoever theirs is who owns Mm -hmm. the land yeah and it's like i mean there are a lot of states that are still um there's a lot of open land there's a lot of opportunity to like homestead and stuff but if you do still want to live in a city or a a suburbia environment um there's like three states left to do that in arizona texas and florida at this point um i mean there's other states but those are like the the main the top three of 2020 and 2021 where people are migrating to um and it's driving up the prices. So you have that coupled, you have asset inflation coupled with um, goods and services inflation. And it's just becoming a recipe for a disaster where the younger generation literally is getting priced out of places that they grew up in. And not that that hasn't happened before because we have seen that happen. And that is a been a natural occurring thing that has happened in cities and stuff. But I think that with less options, with, with there being less cities to even choose from, um, it's happening at like a very accelerated rate. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I think that Florida, Texas and Arizona were considered places where you kind of like go and settle and you, it's more of a buyer's market where I think uh, cities like, you know, uh, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, maybe LA a little bit less, but they're definitely more um, renter cities. And so I think that it's frustrating to see um, a city like Phoenix, where we're from, that used to be a homeowner city, turn into like a a renting economy. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have to be pretty wealthy to even like purchase a home here. Um, and oh my gosh, on my on our neighborhood street, which we never had before, we've got way more Airbnbs now, two of which are always having parties. I don't know what this landlord is doing, but I like the other night there was this Ferrari party <laughs> where I mean, my mom's like out getting the mail and we're watching basically strippers walk in exiting these Hummer limos wearing like thong Playboy bunny costumes. And it's like, what? This is a residential area. Why is that happening? Well, it's because the Airbnb in this renter economy is just exploding. And people who want to make money renting their places, yeah, they're fine with doing that. I don't care who's renting it. So people who live in suburban areas and, and want to maybe raise a family should be aware of that if there are, um, you know, Airbnbs and places in homes like that that are constantly being rented out that you're going to have run-ins with people that maybe you wouldn't anticipate, you know, coming in there, um, which is kind of not ideal for some people, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's a first world problem, obviously, but for people who have families or who don't want to be around that type of stuff that it, that behavior doesn't align with your values. That's not good. I mean, it's not, you don't have control over it. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, 
I think uh, something else too that is interesting um, in terms of like the economy is a term that I didn't know about when we recorded last year. It's called um, a natural asset corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that I learned about through Whitney Webb, who, if you guys don't know, she's a really good um, investigative journalist. She's been on Tim Dillon a lot. Um, I recommend listening to her. She has she does and just reading her articles um she's she's really good um but basically like what these are are um basically it's wall street is monetizing nature that's basically what it is have you heard of these Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah like it's crazy like there's gonna be um natural assets that are acquired and kind of corporized and there's going to be like owners of it, a board of directors. It's going to go through like a normal IPO process. Um, and what they're going to kind of market it as is a green plan. Um, and, but it's really what it's doing is transforming, uh, the financial system that we have to not only include man-made assets, but actual, like things that we find in nature. When I first came across that, um, you know, <laughs> what hit my mind first was, you know, we were talking about the the drone situation where if you, worst case scenario, all of the U.S. became a police state and you still wanted to be able to escape and say run off into the forest oh, or yeah. something oh, that potentially we wouldn't even be able to do that because with all of our facial recognition technology and, and search engine technology and, and AI, even if you have photos online, um, there will be technology soon if they don't already have it that can scan just you know 2D images and create a facial ID map so that even if you haven't done facial recognition on like your iPhone or, or your device, they will be able to um, have that data stored stored to plug into drones. If you were, say, running off into the forest to try to hide from a war, a police state, you might not even be able to do that as, eff- mm-hmm. as efficiently as you may want to because then they can send drones out to then maybe execute. I don't know. Yeah. It's just scary. So what I'm thinking is with that natural, natural asset corporation stuff is um, maybe that they're going to, maybe they're going to, implement more tech more cell towers in nature more Mm. um you can't really have off the grid areas exactly so we're not gonna have any off the grid areas yeah and i think it's also just um a way to control natural assets to fit that also into the utilities method um all in the the name of things being green like oh you guys can't handle you know you cut down too many trees to build your houses so we're gonna make you sustainable pods yay that we make and we control and we're gonna hold all the assets and you're not gonna have a house you're gonna have a pod yeah and no i actually i think i want to read the definition of this just because i think it's important and i actually think bill gates will probably be the first one to have one of these considering he owns the majority of farmland in the u.s but so the 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 definition um from this is like a financial website it says a new class of publicly traded tradable securities that hold rights to and manage the productivity and ecological benefits of natural assets such such as forests, marine areas, and farmland. So like 
Which is basically everywhere. <laughs> yeah. What, do they not, I guess the mountains? Marine areas, the entire ocean with, that takes up 70% of the world. Are you kidding me? That's terrifying. Which actually, from what I can gather, I, I believe it's the reefs that actually are helping our ozone more than anything. It's the oxygen that's released by kelp and coral in the reefs that, um, you know, add to our, our ozone being as clean as possible more than we would think, or we always envision trees and that type of thing. But yeah, no, the reefs, reefs do a ton. Are you going to trust the people that take private jets everywhere to manage the future of the earth and how green it will be? No, no. Like, come on guys. (laughs) Like this is, this is like, yeah, this is huge, huge. And I think that, especially my friends who do consider themselves to be um, environmentalists that do seem to go out in nature even more than I do, you know, enjoy things like surfing and skiing on a regular basis. Um, I really, I really challenge those types of people to really look into this and really understand, okay, like I, I guess, yes, we need to take care of the earth. Yes, we need to take care of our oceans. But what is the best way to do that? And actually, this is something that I learned in my economics class. And I've said on the podcast, but I will say it again. <laughs> Owning land is honestly the best way to do that. Because the reason why the oceans are harder to manage and keep clean and keep sustainable isn't just because it's underground and we don't know what's where. But it's because you cannot privatize fishing okay because that industry like people think about it people just go over different areas their goal is to get as many fish as possible they're not they're not thinking about oh we need to let this new generation of fish reproduce we need to let the oysters chill out for a little bit I mean you have parts of Massachusetts where entire oyster beds are just completely destroyed Um, but with farming I mean granted you have exceptions with like factoring far- farming and stuff like that but if you look at a true organic natural farm um especially like a small local farm i mean the farmers care about that land they care about the next generation of crops well, they, they have care to about, care about their land because then the land, they don't make money the land is vital to how their animals are able to stay nourished and survive and be mm-hmm. happy and then then are ready to be harvested in the way that the farmer wants them to. So yeah, yeah. the land, it starts with the land. Yeah, so... It ends with the land. <laughs> so you think if we just then gave up all of the natural assets to really large entities that um, are poisoning humans with Coca-Cola and pharmaceuticals, you think that they're going to like solve the earth? Like I just don't... We've seen how the government, we've seen how corporations, big pharma... Um, big food industries we've seen how they've handled covid and they haven't done a good job um and you and it's honestly it's a crisis that at some point couldn't even be really fully controlled because it's a disease that's airborne um so for us to even to think that us humans can control it is idiotic (laughs) on face value hard for Um, us to wrap our heads around though since we're such control freaks and feel like we can make everything and anything happen. But yeah, no, we can't. It's it's there and we can't really even see the air, honestly. So yeah. so yeah, it's like we're exporting our freedom to an entity that's promising to fix something that ultimately can't be controlled. And even if it could, they can't do a good job of fixing it anyways. And the same thing goes with the climate change stuff. Yes, it is a real problem, but um, a lot of this stuff 
it's yes part of it is there's a human element but part of it is just the earth shifting and changing temperatures and we think that we're the center of everything and that we can control stuff but ultimately we can't and I actually believe in the collective of the individual all doing the right thing and all being good stewards of the earth as opposed to giving it to Bill Gates to manage the American completely farmland. (laughs) Completely agreed. And I don't, and I'm so overseeing these weekly European conferences with thousands, hundreds and thousands of people showing up to them, um, to gather for climate change awareness and to, publish all of this content, these videos and these live streams of discussing climate change and all that we need to do to um, help, you know, improve the movement. But the irony behind it is that all of those hundreds of people, hundreds and thousands of people that showed up to these conferences are flying from all these different countries and using an insane amount of energy just to even get there. And we forget that. I think we forget all of the interworks that go into um, all of the propaganda, the movements behind it, the campaigns, the advertising. And another thing that's also ironic is, say companies like BlackRock and these natural asset corporations, how ironic is it that they're gonna advert they're gonna advertise to us that the reason why they're wanting to do this and wanting to form these companies is because of climate change. And then and what they'll end up doing is just using more energy to then make what they want to make for it. Yeah. Which you- then in theory, it subtracts from, you know, climate change improvement. Yeah. I mean, the people that would rather take a private jet than go on a big plane with everyone else, you do not trust them. That's a decision change. that they made. Yeah. yeah. They didn't have to make that. They could fly no. commercial. That could be the most group collective, um, say not glamorous way of traveling, but it's there. It's available. Yep. That's not been ruined quite yet. Yeah. So... Yeah, they're making the choice to be prima donnas and um, spend extra thousands of dollars yeah. on flying privately for what? Some, you know, slightly improved experience for yeah. eight hours. Uh, speaking it's of ridiculous. flights, I do want to get into some of the COVID stuff. And I do want to play a clip that we talked about when we alluded to the vaccine mandates. Okay. Um, and I think that what made me think to kind of make this transition is we we're just talking about flights and stuff. And we, I think I saw that United actually has taken a lot of their uh, planes and they've reconverted them to have way more like first class seats, Christ. which is very suspicious to me because it makes me feel like, you know, like there might be another mandate that comes in where you have to show vaccine stuff to travel domestically. And then the only way that they're going to make that money back is to like jack up the prices, like how flying used to be in the 60s where you had less people on a flight, but it was way more expensive to fly. Um, And it kind of attracted more of the elite people to be able to fly. So I hope that that's not the case, but that was kind of a red flag that that I saw recently. I don't know if you saw that, but mm-hmm. it did. Yep. Okay. Um, let me find this clip. I think this is it right here. Going back to segregation, guys. We're doing great. <laughs> our biology even more. Well, that's what the fourth um, industrial revolution is. It's a blurring of the boundaries between the physical, digital, and biological world. So to me, the war on reality that has been tossed around this entire year leading up to the election 
that's what this could make it so much worse. And so I just want people to remain skeptical of, okay, we have beauties that, that technology has given us. Mm -hmm. There's beauty in the physical world around us Mm -hmm. when we really are in tune with our reality and there's beauty within our own biology Mm -hmm. and health and, and having control of what we put into our bodies and and what we do with our bodies. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to scare people, but there is, is word. I read a lot of articles about this on how, if this starts, what they would do is merge with the world health organization. And obviously they're connected to the vaccine and all these countries getting the vaccine, but they would not only require everybody to get the vaccine, but you would have to (laughs) show documentation even to get on an airline that you've gotten the vaccine. When my family was in um, Hawaii, like I didn't go, but my, some of my family members went and they, every restaurant they went to every place they went to, they had to like show their papers that they tested negative for COVID. Yeah. Like literally every place they went. Clearly the next step is the vaccine. And what's interesting about this vaccine, I don't want to go on a tangent, but what's interesting about this vaccine is that it, um, first of all, it uses RNA to be created. So actually some people's, my professor was explaining to me to this and he was saying that he won't, he wants to wait a while to take the vaccine and see how it plays out. Cause it's the first vaccine we've ever had RNA, which reacts directly to people's genetic codes Mm -hmm. and some people's genetic codes might not work well with this vaccine. And so I think that even something as simple as this, even though we're in a pandemic, the death rate is not higher than 99%. So it's like, why are we requiring a vaccine? There's diseases out there, measles, et cetera, that are way more deadly to younger generations that the vaccine isn't even required for those. So like, Mm -hmm. why is the vac? why is this one so much worse like i understand we've seen so many deaths so fast Mm. but there's other vaccines out there that those aren't required and those seem way more serious to me than even the covid yeah not Mm. wow it's crazy how you listen to yourself speak and i don't i I mean i don't remember that like it's not like it's stored in my memory like that conversation but I, <laughs> the amount that all of that holds up still is crazy. That was a year ago. That is strong. Um, I completely agree with all of that. And we were right on some things. We knew, yeah. we knew that the airlines were going to do that. We knew that the segregation was going to end up happening. We knew that um, other countries all around the world, that were, they were going to do the were same gonna thing. People were going to have bad reactions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we, you, you, I think the most interesting thing is that you saw – from the research on the Great Reset, which was separate before we like even figured out all that uh, vaccine stuff, but you saw that okay, the world, uh, the WHO is requiring the vaccine and be pushing these countries to go towards that because they want to merge us with eventually machines and technology yeah, yeah. and combine biology with that's the technology trans that's and- the transhumanism movement mm-hmm. i i think that we're gonna that that word specifically just making note right now if we ever do another one of these yeah. is going to be much more prevalent in coming months because i think like if you if you picked up on how everyone talking about internet being a utility phones being a utility more tech you know, outlets being utilities, um, that that entire conversation has increased 
recently. I wonder if the reason why is because eventually maybe the federal government will be, t- will be tied to this. Um, they're going to just give up. They're going to, ha- they already have such a plethora of, of metals and materials to be making tech devices and also the full devices that they're just going to be giving them out like candy. And I think that it will be in their benefit. Mm-hmm. We might not be able to see what their benefit is right now, but I think in the long term. They want us to have access to tech so that they can ease more easily implement propaganda and um, the social credit scoring methodologies mm-hmm. that they want to, um, which is scary because I love tech. I don't want to see it being used for evil and I don't want it to be used for, you know, corrupt transhumanism type of things. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's the road that we're heading down right now. Yeah, that's something that um, Elon Musk has talked about a lot. And especially if you listen to his most recent uh, interview on um, the Babylon Bee, um, he talks about the need for AI re- regulation um, because he says that the demise of humans will be when AI becomes smarter and faster than the human brain and that that actually gets executed into it already is yeah yeah and he said it already is but if it's in a human and that's happening then like our there's going to be a direct conflict because our brain is going to be moving slower like our movements are slower than an actual computer Mm -hmm. um and i think that actually what the problem is is that china does not have a lot of regulations when it comes to um, human rights, um, experimentation. I mean, we did <laughs> more like none at all. <laughs> we did our gain of function research, um, in China. That's what most likely started the pandemic and something that I didn't realize. And I think it, it actually came together when I was watching, um, it was actually a recommendation from one of our listeners to watch the Alex Jones documentary from 2007, I think, or 2009. Um, And he talks a lot about how the the purpose of China and why we let, why the Western world, specifically the U S lets China get away with murder when it comes to human rights, um, when it comes to um, corrupt capitalism, which is ultimately a pseudo fascist capitalism, um, is because we want to see how it plays out first elsewhere, see what works and then implement it here. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of people, even Elon Musk says, well, you know, like even if we regulated AI, um, we would eventually have to compete with China. Even if we regulated our weapons, we'd eventually have to compete with China. Think about the atomic bomb. We have to cre- keep creating those weapons so that we can yeah, be at the compete. same level as Russia, other countries, right? And so, so if they don't regulate AI, if they don't regulate these things that we're for regulating and end up regulating, then we're not going to be able to compete mm-hmm. or be in the same playing field as them with their technology that they've allowed to be unleashed. And then you take it the next step further and you go, okay, well then why haven't we intervened? Why didn't we intervene earlier? We knew China was doing this stuff. It's because we want to have a reason to have to not regulate here. And, 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 and people even say that we were behind the one child policy in China because we wanted to see if it'd be an effective, um, I mean, this is going to sound conspiratorial, but it, it's true. Like, there are people that think that we wanted to see how a policy like that could 
potentially transpire in mm-hmm. even Western mm-hmm. countries and end up being a disaster. I would assume that it was a small collective of people, though, who thought that. It was Correct. high up people as the Bush administration, stuff like that. And so on the front, you think, oh, I might be voting for a, a pro-life candidate or what this is. Someone's going to like defend human rights, all this stuff. But in the back, in the background, China has always been the Western world's kind of experimental um, country. And I mean, you even see that with COVID. We didn't we didn't our the 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 lab that was in china the wuhan lab we funded that that was Mm -hmm. u.s dollars that was funding the gain of function research we indirectly or directly caused a pandemic Mm -hmm. so i mean you can only put so much blame on china like we're creating our own like we're feeding the beast yeah and if you think about it you'll see in in the mainstream media though us being us pinning ourselves or uh, us pinning China against us that we're separate from China that that's China and we're us and it's that dichotomy that clear dichotomy but actually it's not at all we're so much more meshed than people think and and you don't see that in the mainstream media which is why it's hard to wrap your head around but that is the truth even ask Dr. Fauci we need to hold him accountable yeah lied to Congress about that but yeah totally tied to China yeah. It's not even, yeah. And it's not even a question. And then what do they do? They distract us with fake wars. Um, they make us focus on the Middle East, um, Iran, uh, Afghanistan, Iraq. And okay, yes, these countries hate us, okay? But I'm sorry, Afghan, they never had weapons of mass destruction. If we really wanted to go in, infiltrate, try to spread democracy, we should have done that to China. And we didn't even have to go into China. We just had to be like, fine, we won't do business with you. We won't allow our companies to go in and do manufacturing with China. Do you know when a U.S. company, and and, and, uh, Joe Rogan talks about this on his podcast, when a U.S. company goes into China and sets up a a location there, shop there, whatever, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're then if if they take on a partnership with the Chinese, their whole company can be slowly infiltrated by that way. And then suddenly you have to make, start making deals with the devil. And we didn't. Even yeah. When to, you didn't even sign up for it. Yeah. In the first place. And we didn't even have to go to war with China. We just had to be like, OK, we'll do a trade war like we didn't even have to kill anyone. And we won't do that. And we won't hold them accountable at the Paris climate accord they get till 2030 to lower emissions so clearly we're clearly we're letting them have a free pass for some the reason 2030 year too why why that i don't know you know that doesn't make it's kind of weirdly coincidental with the 2030 agenda and why that year i'm not sure yeah so i just think that i think that um we come up with these distractions in other countries that actually might not be that much of a threat in the grand scheme of things. And then we don't pay attention to, I mean, even like the Yeager massacre that's happening. Mm -hmm. We've never even, we don't even publicly call that out. And we supposedly fought world war two to help free the Jewish people. Like it doesn't Mm -hmm. make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. I have a lot of questions there. And I think that we're also in a mass psychosis, which also ties into like, the destabilization. Did you watch that mass psychosis video that I sent you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, I guess the the term mass psychosis 
could explain it. I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I feel like most people are familiar with what a psychosis could be. I, I just I just think that we're all so disconnected from reality in so many ways. And I don't know, I don't think that there's blame on one sole entity or reason. I think tech has has pushed that in a bad direction, unfortunately, just us being so much more immersed in the digital space that we forget about, you know, the freedoms and things we love in the in the real world. But yeah, I I mean, if you're saying you think we're in a mass psychosis, I guess, yeah, in a way I, I agree too. Yeah, I mean, if you think about, um, I don't know. I, I think that too, the metaverse is... Like the metaverse is just going to be another means to keep people occupied and keep our brains occupied to take us out of reality, to distract yeah. us from reality, to distract us from all of the horrors that are going to be incrementally increasing throughout this time before the metaverse even comes out. Like it's already We're already underway. in a metaverse. You're right. We are. How Social many, media is kind of like its own metaverse in itself. It's just on different platforms. How many hours do you spend on your device a day, including your work? Most people, I would assume, all day long. Yeah. So it's like, okay, maybe you don't have a VR set on, but are you looking at a screen all day? Are you immersed in what? Like, yeah. Yeah. So you might you might already the transition is not going to be hard at all. It's actually going to be easier, and people will prefer it. And, and it is, might not even be that obvious. Like maybe they're trying to make it look obvious now, so that we don't even realize that we're already in a metaverse of a sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was learning a little bit about Web 3.0, which I guess the metaverse is going to be categorized in. Right now, we're currently in Web 2.0, which is like Web Web 0.0 was when we created the internet and we basically used it as an online library of just looking up Wikipedia and and finding information. Like we got the information from the internet. Web 2.0 was, okay, yes, we have that and all that access to information, but we're also the information. So that's Web 2.0 is when all of these services, these companies and sites started using us for data mining, taking our data and then turning that into you know, really catered advertising that then they can capitalize on and make money from. Web 3.0 is going to be all of that, but maximize so much more with the combination of NFTs, with the combination of crypto, with the combination of more of these highly complex metaverse type platforms that involve gaming, like just everything digital, Mm -hmm. just on steroids. So I'm going to be really interested and keenly looking into what's going to be happening. Obviously, yeah, I'm a fan of what we can use tech for. But like I've said in previous episodes, I try to weave it in every every episode. I'm just terrified to see what like evil is done with it. Mm -hmm. And that's going to happen. Like it's just completely inevitable. Yeah, yeah. Well, going back really quickly to the the mass psychosis thing, I think a really final, just really good example of people being in that is um, seeing different people react to the Australia concentration camps on Instagram um, and Twitter. Um, And it's actually something that I think is kind of funny, but this is actually one of the it's not funny because I feel bad for the people there, but this has been one of the weirdest <laughs> things that I've seen. Um, there's literally a, and this kind of ties into like the technology stuff and, and, and web 
to web 2.0 but there's um a marketing campaign of influencers that get sent to these quarantine camps alongside <laughs> regular people and they do full-on instagram <laughs> shoots what and they're like beautiful they're like skinny they're in shape they're not wearing their mask they're like oh my gosh like this is a vacation yeah. i'm eating healthy to make it look glamorous and yeah. and appetizing and yeah and you know, yeah, awesome. And then you see like the actual photos that get leaked and you see people in masks in like lab coats with police and like a gate and the food looks nasty and it looks like a concentration <laughs> So it's like camp. Coachella versus fire festival. Yes. <laughs> no, literally that's, that's what the, it looks the like. That's the reality versus the pseudo reality that they're trying to propagandize using these fake instagram models yeah. and influencers that are yeah posting photos from their accounts as if they're actually there and, and loving it yeah and something that wasn't a like fake account but it actually was this um this artist that i follow in la and i think a lot of people would be familiar with her work i forget her name but she does a lot of um she did a whole like film series with captions but it was all just like still images and it told it told like a story over multiple weeks um but she went to australia to visit family recently and i guess you get assigned either a camp or a hotel um and she was ex explaining that she was even assigned like one of the nicer hotels like the luxury place like she had a view Gosh. she had a good like because it's just you randomly assigned it but she lucked out and she was posting on her story even though she's in a luxury place for 14 days, not having fresh hair, fresh air, being alone, she was going crazy. Wow. And she was in one of the nice spots. I believe it. Yeah. So I'm like, at the end of the day, it's confining. You're not making decisions. It yeah. just goes against that nature of freedom, which I don't know what it is about us, but we want that. Yeah. Anything that feels forced that you're forced into will automatically create a a detestful tone within ourselves that we don't like it. We don't want it. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I can't imagine that. I hope I never have to go through that. I hope the U.S. does not continue adopting these camps and establishing these camps because it's just – it's I don't know what the word for like de-evolution is, but we're it's just sending us back to where we were centuries ago – decades ago and I don't want to see us get there like we are too evolved we have too many things too many beauties and we're too smart at this point to allow that to happen so I need people to wake up here's here's where we're finally dropping I guess the title of this episode it's called the great resist it's a response to the great reset the great reset is happening it is not by the feds it is by big corporations elite and powerful people infiltrating on the powerless which is people like us and even though we are autonomous we are powerless to them mm -hmm. so um we i guess it goes back to you know our favorite franchises and quotes we've heard in a million movies and trilogies and and books um but power power resides where men allows power to reside. So we need to stop giving them that and um, resist where we can. Obviously, we're not going to be able to every single second of the day. It's hard. We've got jobs. We've got families. We've got um, responsibilities to ourselves, our people around us. But um, I think we can, we should all be at least agreeing on recognizing what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's what we're here doing this episode for. 
Yeah. So there's a tweet that I want to bring up um, before we get into... Um, I think this will kind of get us into predictions and stuff. But so there was a tweet that said we talked about a few of this stuff, but CDC reduces quarantine to five days, which we don't think we talked about that yet. But that was something that was announced, I think, yesterday. Um, But it's actually come out that Delta Airlines uh, sent a request Mm -hmm. to the CDC to do this because having the it benefits them and having making more money with people flying more often and not having employees out for twice as long sick or whatever yeah yeah um and then biden said there's no federal solution which we talked about that and why that was suspicious then we had the uh c or c cbs face of the nation discusses the devastating impacts of covid policies on children i don't think that we had seen like a major oh that's a great clip we'll attach that in the description of this um but yeah basically this entire round table of cbs um broadcasters were having like a very earnest discussion like you don't really see um typical broadcast media people bring like a level of empathy and sort of somber Mm -hmm. tone to when they're doing announcements and news coverage. But in this particular clip, like they were all very like just showing the emotion behind it. Like we're so sad for the children and whatever. And I'm sitting there watching going, you allowed this to happen. You told parents to be terrified for two years. You told parents to be fine with allowing your kid to be on On some $200, you know, Acer computer with all these glitches every 20 minutes trying to do online learning. You told people that making those sacrifices was worth it in the long run. And then you decide within a 24-hour um, decision alongside all these other weird, you know, coincidences after, after that are going on at the cons- same time. After you called people, other people that's been saying that for two years, conspiracy theorists. Exactly. It just, it frustrates me so much because these kids, and, and I've said this from the beginning, anything that has involved us, you know, suppressing the upbringing that kids should be having has hit me so much harder than so many other things because we're adults we're able to see through with the skepticism in the lens of of a more mature brain than kids are kids are reliant on us there's a Mm -hmm. reason for that Mm -hmm. because they're not fully developed and so they've been just so subject to all of these measures and they've lost two years and it's going to be more if we don't put an end to this so i i am glad that they're i guess in a way now starting to reverse their stances on this stuff but I just know that there's something else behind it and yeah. it's probably not alluding to something good. So remember we that, need to look out for that. <laughs> remember the drawing that that kid did with the people and she drew masks over? Yeah, she's like, mommy, what? It doesn't have a mask on their face. Like, that's not a person. And that's so like, that's so raw and real. Like, and they have no bad intentions drawing yeah. that, but that's just the world that they've been seeing. They're drawing sketches on printed pieces of paper of human beings with masks masks on them because that's what they view their reality as now it's just crazy yeah it's horrible okay go back to the tweet it's okay there's two more things um uh new york times admits that the vaccine passes uh don't increase uptake um so they're basically admitting that vax passes don't work and then this isn't on the list but i want to add this because the cdc director just came up came out and said that cloth masks do not work. Um, So, and the tweet ends with promising but suspicious they're up to something, which Jordan already alluded to. Um, I think it's great to see this on surface value, but after 
it's it's like a cheating boyfriend who robbed like everything from you <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. i like at some point even if they came around and said oh my gosh i'm so sorry i i i was wrong like i'm so sorry that i misled you for 2 years i'm like uh okay what's like going a two on? second apology or like all of the two years that you dealt with like actual suffering yeah yeah it doesn't it's covering their bases but it doesn't reverse anything and and for them to all be having these coincidental the epiphanies time. at the same time like we're talking within the last two days mm-hmm. since christmas so it's it's only been a couple of days this week so I don't know. That just seems like such a short amount of time for all of these massive companies, including the president of the United States and the Biden administration, to be all on the same page. Yeah. To go from the winner of the unvaccinated and we wish you a Christmas of death to there is no federal solution. This should be left out to the states. (laughs) And then Biden's like, peace, I'm (laughs) going to go on my helicopter to Delaware and who knows when we'll see him again. Like, I just have a lot of questions. Um, And I don't like some people are saying, oh, this is just they know that they can't win the 22, the 2022 election. I'm like, (laughs) No, they're no, not there's, conceding. There's something they're else. Not conceding. Like they can't be conceding. Like they're too deep into this, which is why I point back to the police state theory. I think that's my strongest theory right now. But ultimately, I don't know. Like I, I don't know what's going to happen. I I'm I don't either. I don't um, either. I don't really have any predictions for what that what that will ensue. But all I know is I'm going to be just you know keeping my eyes peeled to see if any. More companies like the World Economic Forum, the CDC, um, the WHO, whoever else, you know, these big globalist nation, uh, companies are going to be um, publishing and announcing in, you know, the next coming weeks. But we'll see. Do you we'll think see. that the next thing will be the cyber threat and that that will maybe force people to merge with? Because they need to, at least... The they global- want us to all be in the metaverse. Yeah, they want us to because then they can to be with AI. They want us to yes. merge with AI. So how do they do that? If they can't do it, if they fail on the vaccine front and getting us to take, I think maybe eventually it'd be the COVID pill. I don't know. But if they fail mm-hmm. on that, getting control of our DNA that way, do you think it'll be the cyber threat attack? I think that that's going to happen no matter what. Okay. I think a cyber attack, like a real blackout now that everybody's working from home and everybody does all of their business, you know, via some sort of device of some sort. And already a lot of businesses have um, implemented uh, some sort of like automation software that runs their businesses. Like a lot of manufacturing factories have these. I'm not exactly sure what the type of software name the technology is named, but there are a lot of companies that have very routine um, like activities mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis that can actually just be totally run by um, mm-hmm. an AI mm-hmm. or by like a blockchain technology yeah. of sorts. So there's a lot of companies that already do that. Um, so if there was a cyber blackout, like mm-hmm. the entire grid, the entire internet shuts down, the amount of businesses that would not be able to conduct their activities would be a ton and the amount of people that would lose a lot of money and a lot of income from having their work from home businesses being shut down would be detrimental too. So, but there's a side of me that thinks that they aren't going to do that pin cyber attack, blackout pandemic thing, whatever you want to call it until 
we're more immersed. And I think that that is going to be much more aligned with the metaverse when that really hits the ground running. Because I think from what I've been able to gather from Zuckerberg's announcements and Meta, formerly Facebook's announcements, I think that they're on a pretty fast track Mm -hmm. um, to get their entire platform launched. Um, And then I keep seeing a million Oculus commercials i saw a ton before christmas they're <laughs> probably making more and more of those yeah. vr headsets um so we'll see yeah. but yeah definitely be on the lookout for any any aliases under cyber attack or blackout or cyber pandemic anything of or that, that sort they're too. doing um like a prep for it because remember event 201 mm-hmm. was the precursor to the to covid which was uh, funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and and John Hawkins. It was Um, labeled the simulation for mm -hmm. a potential pandemic. And this was done about a year before. No, I think it was only a couple months. It was only a couple months. I think it was like the November of 2019, just a couple months before COVID-19 happened. And and right now they've done a few of of this regarded to cyber. Um, I mean, right here on Reuter Business, I have Israel-led a 10-country stimulation of a major cyber attack on the global financial system in an attempt to increase cooperation that could minimize any potential damage to financial markets and banks. So, Wow. Yeah, and that included the U.S. So I don't know. Okay, well, Crazy I guess stuff. I guess that kind of um, same pattern. That kind of segues into our predictions. Maybe we have if we have some more predictions. I know we have yeah. a few written down, but um, so what we think there's going to be more protests against vaccine mandates. Yeah, and I think that this kind of ties into to the hope and resistance part of the mm-hmm. episode, which is kind of the last thing that we wanted to do. But I think that there's going to be continue to be more protests. I think that they're going to continue to grow. I'm hoping that they grow more in the U.S. It seems that the U.S. has been a little bit more complicit than Europe has. Um, And I think that that's because it happened a lot slower here. And, like, you can still eat out outside. Like, it hasn't been as intense as Europe Mm-hmm. Um, I think when things are slow, people don't recognize it as much. Um, and I think that okay. when we were doing our predictions, we thought it was going to be a little bit more aggressive here and not that it hasn't with like the jobs and stuff. But I think that having like the legal, like I think that also it helps that we've had these lawsuits to go through. We have the Supreme Court hearing um, against the mandates, specifically the, hundred employees or more. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's going to be huge. I'm hoping that that goes in the right direction. Um, so yeah, I think that there's going to be more protests hopefully too. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. I hope so. I think that that's a very, you know, boots to the ground way of fighting against something mm-hmm. without risking the possibility of being censored online without trying to spread information online that can get tampered with or hacked. Because um, we've seen that before. You, you you can see a protest video of a vaccine mandate protest and, you know, see Instagram's alerts that they put on it. Um, I forget what those are called. But they, like, flag a lot of that type of stuff, which is obviously raw footage from real protests that are happening and yeah. real people that are out there trying to fight for freedom. So, um 
yeah, I, I think that that in person, um, on the ground way of doing it is is good and it is ethical and it's in our constitution for a reason. Yeah, and I would encourage anyone who has the opportunity to to attend one of these protests. I had the opportunity to do that um, in November in New York, and I think just being able to be a part of something that ultimately will be historic, um, hopefully history judges it well. Um, I think that it will, assuming that the right people come up on top. Um, and I think that recently, um, I don't know, you go, you see these other protests like the, the pro-choice protests or um, like... LGBTQ. Yeah, like, I mean... I think that there, I think that there hasn't been like a real, real like human rights, all all encompassing, everyone's involved. This literally could affect anyone, all races, all genders, all ethnicities, every all sexual orientation, all ages. I mean, it's affecting people as young as five, and to have that energy all in one space for Mm -hmm. everyone to be united on one human pro human cause. Um, is really beautiful. And I think that if you can be a part of that in your generation and be able to tell your grandkids that, um, I think that's really powerful. So mm-hmm. I'd encourage everyone mm-hmm. to do that. Um, I think that we're going to have, I think that the people that have drawn their line in the sand at um, the vaccine mandates and then anything that merges us with AI, anything that um, divides people, I think that the, those people that have, drawn that line in the sand are going to continue to feel a little bit more isolated from the general public. I, I think that I didn't predict that strong, like strongly enough. Um, in the other episode, I don't, I didn't think I realized how isolating that feeling would be. And that definitely has happened this year. Yeah. 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 Um, more things that I guess we can be resisting, just anything regarding a social credit score, giving our information to banks, um, giving up our assets. I don't want to see that. Even when something might seem tempting, like, oh, making more money owning Airbnbs and renting them out or making more money renting out whatever service that is, but not actually um, like allowing people to own it. I think anything of that sort is kind of a red flag because it can be taken over by people higher up and that have um, more devious agendas than you may think. So I think that we should resist that. And then also anything big pharma related with COVID pills, um, potentially COVID daily prescriptions that we take, you know, your, your morning shot or your, or maybe it'll be a chip at some point. We don't know. That's just implanted. So anything like that, it's just so unnecessary. Just say no. We try to, we try to (laughs) remain pretty spiritually neutral when we record these, these episodes, but I will say God made our bodies this advanced for a reason. Our, our bodies are so capable. And the fact that we have survived for this long through famine, black plague, like so many things, traveling on a sea in a boat with people throwing up on each other. Like the fact that our bodies have, have survived that and transcended that to make us who we are. It's just a testament to that we do not need all of this stuff all the time. It is complete it's bullshit. It's <laughs> it's bullshit. So it's yeah, money making. Resist propaganda. that. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, also, 
I want to give a shout out to Joe Rogan. He's been a huge asset this year. Um, he went from almost taking the vaccine. The only reason why he didn't was because they ended up not distributing it at um, the UFC uh, arena or wherever. Um, and now he's been one of the leading forces for freedom on that front. Um, he canceled his Vancouver show because they were requiring a vaccine passport. He's had many doctors on his podcast recently. Mm -hmm. uh, you just finished one of the episodes. Yep, with Dr. Peter McAuliffe. It was awesome. Very tangible too, concise, um, well-spoken. Not He's conspiracy. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, you're you're listening to someone who speaks on what they do for a living every single day and has very in-person observations, um, you know, like upfront data, access to data. So it's, yeah, it's as legit as it gets. Um, yeah, I want to give a shout out to uh, Tim Dillon um, for, <laughs> for, be, for being a light at the end of the tunnel. For being, for being a source of laughter during this dark time. For um, introducing me to asking questions about things that I did not see as issues before. Making me think see america in a different light and by america i mean like the government um not america as like a yeah. idea and a beautiful um country and a beautiful soul and, and constitution but as like a government ruling entity um and just all of his antics on day-to-day -day little things too yeah. and on the social media <laughs> pop culture world he's yeah, he's really up on so many categories of yes. society, and yes. it's impressive to it me. It shows. I know you. You listen to other people that are like famous, like you listen to like the Tonight Shows and stuff, and it's like listening to a baby boomer. <laughs> oh my gosh! Can we? Okay, I want. I want to. Yeah. Can we just talk about this for a second? Yes. I'll make it brief. But I've been having a series of more epiphanies about the baby boomer generation and how frustrated I am. Also, shout out to Tim Dillon because he talks about that a lot. He does. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, the baby boomers. They okay. Granted, they are the ones that are running all these companies because they're all 70, 80 years old. And they're running the government. And they're running the government. <laughs> I mean, Pelosi. Pelosi's 81, Biden's 79, Fauci's 81. Um, pretty much everybody that is like a real power, money-moving person yeah. is, is late 70s, early 80s. They're so old and they're so rich. And they, they never understood the suffering that they're ancestors and older generations prior generation. to them mm -hmm. had to endure in, in order for them to have an easier upbringing. So they've just gone all of these decades since the 40s being so entitled, having things a lot more spoon-fed than previous generations, and I think have kind of taken things too far and, and are now sacrificing the comfort and success of our younger generations than them for their comfort. for their own benefit and convenience, mm -hmm. which is really, really creepy and messed up. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like that. It's almost like when we started this whole COVID thing that we knew that that was like a weakness in America cult in American culture, because the whole pitch was mask your kids, make your kids be online school don't have a social life, be depressed, be anxious, more suicides for young people, less economic benefits. Now you are more econ you're worse off economically than 
uh, yeah. the previous generations, like the first time that this has happened. And why? The pitch was we sacrifice for the old people. When has that ever been the case? <laughs> it's always been the older generation sacrifices yeah, for the next cause generation. Because typically when you're an older person, you look at younger people and you say, hey, they have so much life I've ahead made of my money. I'm retired. I don't have anything really else more going for me like me and my husband or maybe that you're already widowed like there th that's just the cycle of life there isn't as much going on for you granted you can still you know play your part in society help the poor do philanthropic you still have work much human value but yeah, yeah. your dignity is 100 percent still there in the exact same way but it it's just concerning that it's the complete opposite now. It's as easy as... They don't care. No. They're saying, no, you have to sacrifice your immune system health for me. Yeah. Even though you're 80 years younger than me. Yeah. Or That's really odd. Or we, I would rather travel to New York and give in to the vaccine stuff because I would like to go on a trip as opposed to like, oh, wait, this could... If I give in to this... This means that I could give up freedom after I die to my grandkids and they might want that to happen. You know, like we, we, it's so frustrating. And I think that it also shows how spiritually um, poor we are as a country, because if people were more in touch with their, their spirituality and had a better um, understanding of death and encounter death more often. I mean, if you think about the baby boom, boomer generation, this is the generation that has seen the least amount of death in their lifetime. And I, I'm generalizing here, but that's because they lived in a period where modern medicine really advanced and they were the beneficiaries of that. But what happens now? Okay. Their quality of life is so horrible because they just are trying to live forever and their whole life is just doctor's appointments for the most part just to keep them alive and breathing and it's not a high quality of life but they'd rather have that than just to let go be natural yeah. and let death just take them because no one no one's really they haven't processed the presence of death yeah and as and, a collective and getting generation ready for a, the next life potentially and what is eternal life is there eternal life like they we need to grapple with those questions that's more important honestly than the physical stuff the spiritual stuff i think takes precedent and if you don't work through that that is the most important thing to you reaching that goal then you are going to get caught up in the physical world and you're going to and you're going to obsess over delaying the death process mm -hmm. as as best as you can yeah yeah you're right that's the problem it's it's that they're not in tune with the realities of their existence and what comes next and and are in a spiritual um uh, I, the, I guess you could say Battle. deprivation, mm -hmm. spiritual deprivation. So it's kind of sad. No, it's, it's really sad. <laughs> and they're, and they're willing to throw us up as shields, the young people as shields, like screw you. Like you, you help us to help be, help prolong our, our, um, life cycle. Um, yeah. And I think too, um, I mean, we're, it's there's also this financial struggle. I mean, they were the beneficiaries of the gold standard. Um, they were the beneficiaries of being able to, um, I mean, if you look at 
it's also like maybe we shouldn't be living this long to hold on to all these assets and just like keep acquiring all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And like they, like you said, they haven't even seen a world where things haven't been free. So they can't even wrap their heads that this could all go yeah, away. Yeah. They've seen 80 years. They don't think it's possible. Yeah, they've seen 80 years of complete autonomy, complete liberty. I mean, and it honestly has feud selfishness if you think about a lot of stuff that's almost like too much freedom like even if you think about um just our mindset on like kids and starting families like it's it's been marketed as this like negative thing Mm -hmm. when it doesn't need to be a negative thing it's actually supposed to be like the main thing that we do from an evolutionary point of view is to have children um and so those boomers they are something but yeah i i I've been realizing a lot more of that recently. And I mean, no shade on my grandparents. I love my grandparents, but yeah, they, they're, they lived a different young reality than we are in right now. And, um, hate to say it, but I think we're going to be entering a phase of more firsthand suffering than they ever had. Yeah. It's a, it's a war period. Mm, Yeah. And it happens. What's the cycle of men, you know, it's like that psych, that diagram of men, like bad times make strong oh, men and, and yep. weak times make weak men and, or good times make weak men. And yeah, the cycle. Continues. I don't, I, I've, I know what you're talking about, but I don't know yeah. off the top of my head, but yeah. Yeah. Is there, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that. It's a very multidimensional topic. I think we did make some predictions. Yeah. Obviously nothing too concrete. Hillary I, Clinton, 2024. Okay, <laughs> we need to not talk about that. Um, I just don't even want to say her name anymore. Like, just go, go live on an island, Hillary. Go to Jeffrey Epstein's island. Like the Clintons just need to. Like, they're as deep state as it gets. Why is she? Why does she have a master class now? Is she qualified to have a master class? She. I don't understand the it. Bushes. Clinton. Like, I don't want to. Like, I don't want to learn about the tactics of warfare from George Bush. Like he's the reason why we're facing so many issues now. You don't want to learn how to be a war, war criminal. No, I don't, <laughs> and I certainly don't want to learn how to be a failed president from Hillary Clinton. Like that. That's just completely inappropriate. So I don't know. I think that's a good. Thing to end on i don't know what the ratings <laughs> on that one's gonna be but yeah like, it's funny <laughs> eventually yeah at some point oh i'm so excited like on rotten tomatoes or some of those oh gosh that's not gonna be accurate actually sometimes it is because okay. you can see the audience score like yeah. the the tomato score is where like their critics do it but like the audience score is when people with accounts can go okay. in and, and review nice. review what they what they think of it but nice. yeah i don't plan on watching hillary clinton's master class okay <laughs> guys <laughs> thank you so much for watching um just to reiterate our announcements from earlier we have a kickstarter campaign launching in january Stay we're tuned. super excited for yes. that we'll be posting much more routinely going you know in the next couple weeks and months and um what else Oh, we've got a newsletter now. We're going to be sending out another social media announcement, trying to collect some. We're officially a business and registered with IRS. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) We're an LLC, guys. Yeah, so that's (laughs) exciting. Um, As always, like, subscribe. Please comment. Give us your feedback. Go back and watch our (laughs) other episode. If you have time, I think it was episode, what, 25? 
yeah, I think okay. so. It was from December of 2020, and hopefully, maybe next year we'll do another one of these. Yeah, and if uh, we're not already <laughs> for not off in the in the trees hiding from <laughs> drones shooting us down from the police state yes <laughs> hopefully that won't happen cross Cheers. our fingers thanks guys thank you bye bye